Buenos dias, world, from the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance. I'm Marco Wint. And I'm Rick Schwartz. And we're your hosts for season three of Amazing Wildlife, a show from iHeartRadio Ruby Studio and the global conservation organization behind the San Diego Zoo and the San Diego Zoo Safari Park. Listen as we dive into the efforts here in San Diego and spotlight the heroes working worldwide to care for the species you know and love. Listen to Amazing Wildlife on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Anthony Bourdain, and you're listening to The Trip, a new podcast from my partners at Roads and Kingdoms. The Trip is your passport to all things weirder, deeper, further. Each episode, a different Roads and Kingdoms contributor will take you behind the scenes of a reporting trip somewhere in the world with host Nathan Thornburg from Roads and Kingdoms. Now Nathan talks to Saba Imtiaz about how the KFC Zinger Burger, a simple chicken sandwich with incredible timing, took over Pakistan. The Trip. Get ready for the ride. Right, starting. Okay, let's clap on three together for Josie. On the count of three, one, two, three, clap. That was a, sorry, I literally barely could bring my two hands together. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I I failed a field sobriety test at 12.09. Please listen carefully. Uh, You know what's good for a high cover, a zinger? Actually, probably not. It would probably be the worst thing you could eat. No, man, that's exactly the kind of gut bomb that... Actually, I think I have done that once at like two in the morning, eating the zinger. Oh my God, I'm starving for some bizarre reason. I, it's not a bizarre reason, I've been editing all day and I only ate breakfast and like half a cookie. And now I'm going to make you talk about your dark tour of the underbelly of Karachi zinger culture. <laughs> yes. Here comes KFC's Mighty Zinger. Spicy mayo, melted cheese. All right, well, we've flown right in and we've just totally skipped over the definitions part. KFC's Mighty Zinger. Dare your hunger. Of what do we speak when we speak of Zingers? Zinger is essentially a KFC product. It's um, like a crispy fried piece of chicken sandwiched between a bun. There's some lettuce, some mayo. But in Pakistan, a zinger is pretty much a generic name for a crispy chicken fried sandwich. What is called a sandwich is in America is called a burger. And kind of everyone tries to make their own version of a zinger. KFC chicken burger. Tell me when the zinger arrived in Pakistan, like what year are we talking about? So this is 1997, and KFC was the second major international fast food franchise to come to Pakistan. So the first was Pizza Hut, but Pizza Hut was fairly expensive. And then KFC came. It was hysterical, like the response. I mean, they had to call in the police because there were so many people who would jam into into KFC. It's not very big. So it just became this thing. You had to go to KFC. You had to be seen at KFC. I like Zinger Burgers. I love them. I love Zinger Burgers. Because they are visually so attractive. Mostly when you order burgers, they're not, you know, thick enough. The chicken is really thin and when you... Uh, Zinger Burgers are mostly fat chicken. So like it's crispy, fried, we like, love fry and all this stuff. So that's really amazing. I mean, it was literally just fried chicken, but everyone I knew, like at school, relatives, like they all just kind of wanted to go to KFC. What else went into that initial, like, KFC riot environment? I 
just the fact that you couldn't get in, right? So it just became this thing that everybody talked about. I mean, I think they tried to play a little bit on the on the Colonel Sanders thing. Hey there, this is your Colonel talking. A little chicken music, please. Eureka! The Colonel's had another breakthrough. But then they had this like weird mascot called Chicky. With a Chicky space colony. Get one with every KFC Chicky meal. Yeah, the whole thing was like this, you know, super clean, super efficient place where you queued up and it was very different from like the Karachi food culture, right? Like people expected to sit down and be served and that's how all the restaurants worked. Like even at a very, very basic diner, that was the concept. There was no idea of like going and queuing for your your food. Um, And that's really what KFC brought in. Normally when like restaurants would open up in Karachi, they would tend to pick, you know, elite neighborhoods because those are the people who could afford to eat their food. But KFC, I think, was the first one to really go into a neighborhood which was more upper middle class. And I think that was kind of driving this whole partly aspirational value of it, but partly trying to cater to the middle class, I guess. But even then, the prices were like quite ridiculous. So KFC had like that natural advantage that the second one in always does, right? They saw Pizza Hut becoming like this, you know, out of reach, completely out of reach, not just aspirational food for Karachi and thought, all right, we're going to come in at a only slightly ridiculous price point. Yeah. And also like pizza was like something that people didn't really get the point of, right? Because there was already this big culture, like a big joke in Pakistan that like a pizza is actually just like a stuffed naan. So people didn't really understand the value of like this bread that had things on it. And what was the point of paying so much money for this thing? Whereas, you know, fried chicken ticks off all the boxes, particularly in Karachi. People love anything that's crunchy and spicy and crispy. And so... Um, so in other words, they're like human beings. <laughs> those, those, those are universal values we all hold dear. Yes, crunchy and crispy and spicy. I feel like crunchy yeah. and crispy and spicy is going to go on my tombstone. <laughs> I wish that people would speak so highly of me. <laughs> when we knew him, he was crunchy and crispy and spicy. Oh, my God. It's, are we, this whole conversation is... We're so hungry, it's just going to be like a couple of people stoned. We're totally sober, but hunger will... Make you weird, man. (laughs) The next place that they opened was in a fairly, like, upper-class neighborhood. And that branch became really, really notorious for, like, being this place where only, like, the rich kids hung out. Imagine the rich kids of Instagram now, but in 1997. (laughs) And so that KFC branch became really notorious for, like, this place where the boys of the elite schools would come in and have fights over, like some petty issue with the other and break up the furniture. With KFC also became this like really competitive eating culture, right? So it just wasn't just that you were rich enough to afford to eat there. Like how many zingers could you eat? You know, there were people who like went in and ate two zingers at a sitting, which like it's a fairly heavy burger. I had one recently and it takes like a while to settle into your stomach. And yeah, there were people who were like, yeah, like, you know, we can't get full with one. We're going to eat two. Which is kind of a dick move in a country (laughs) with such incredible, you know, a city. I mean, Karachi's got a lot of wealth and then a lot of poverty. Uh, is was that part of was that part of the appeal? Is just this kind of like generation of kids who were like, yeah, I'm rich. Like, watch me eat enough protein to you know feed a family of five. 
you know, I, I don't know, because like, to be quite honest, I couldn't really afford to go to KFC when I was, when it had just opened. My family couldn't afford to eat there, um, you know, for four people to eat a meal at KFC. Even now, I can afford to eat at KFC and I still think it's too expensive. How expensive was it? Like, how much did it cost compared to cost of living? Uh, I think, okay, so I really can't remember well, but um, like, it definitely cost a few hundred rupees. And like, that was a lot of money in those days. You could, you know, I think we paid... So if, if we paid 5,000 rupees in rent, if eating for four people at KFC cost 1,000 rupees, that's a lot of money. That's one-fifth of your rent. I think also, like, for me, fast food also brings back these weird connotations of not just middle-class guilt, but what it was like to, to not have enough money to be able to afford these things. When people say, like, how can KFC be aspirational? Like, I completely understand that. We didn't have money to eat at KFC. My mother was like, spending money on food is ridiculous. You can buy books with this money, which is completely true, but it's a difficult argument sometimes to digest when you're a kid. I, my mother died when I was 14. She'd started working. Her first job was literally a year and a half before she passed away. With one of her, like, paychecks, she took my sister and I to KFC for lunch. And it was this really special treat. It was completely unexpected. We hadn't even asked. And she said, like, I'm going to take you to KFC. This was a woman who was constitutionally against kind of overpaying for food. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, completely. And, you know, it was just, like, so out of character for her to... Um, I mean, she, treat, she treated us all the time. But, like, you know, it was always small things. And um, it was never like, I'm going to take you for a meal. Um... Yeah, it was just, it was so weird. And I like the weirdest part is that I'd completely forgotten about this. I think I must have remembered in the first couple of years after her death. And I haven't thought about this memory at all. And it was kind of going back to this neighborhood where that KFC used to be that brought this back. Well, it's also, I, you know, it's weird about fast food, too, because I think that's that's often the case that we can't help but have it be kind of this, you know, the stage for some of these big moments in our lives and it's so weird because it's such thoughtless food you know like it's not like they're trying to create i mean restaurants there's a lot of restaurants that try to create moments you know and create emotions and and it's almost the exact opposite of what fast food is supposed to do and yet here they are somehow uh, as gatekeepers for memories with people you know stretching back to our earliest days The trip is brought to you by Tiger Beer. And for one minute each episode, we're going to take you to the Lower East Side with some of Tiger's favorite people from the neighborhood. In this New York Minute presented by Tiger Beer, Matt Leacock opens up about the main inspiration behind his cooking. I remember spending quite a quick minute trying to search for stores, Vietnamese markets, to sell herbs that I would need to recreate my mom's dishes authentically. And I spent a year or so doing that. And meanwhile, I was doing a PhD program at Columbia uh, in biochemistry. And I wasn't really thinking too much about science when I was falling asleep or waking up in the morning. I was thinking about, oh, what, which recipe of my mom should I try out? And I would be calling her maybe every other weekend saying, oh, how do you make this? How do you make that? I remember her attending the first pop-up we did. And it was five courses, tasting menu of all of her dishes. 
she was so happy to see people smiling because of her food, you know. I invited her to actually just eat and sit down and eat. But obviously, a Vietnamese mom being a Vietnamese mom, she immediately jumped behind the kitchen, tasted the dessert. It's like, it needs more rum. She hopped behind the bar, grabbed a bottle of rum, poured it in. So she wants her food perfect. So it was great to see her smile, you know. That's the smile that you see when like a mom like, okay, I got to see my dream. And she passed away a month after that. It's almost like she saw her dream realized and she's like, okay, my sons are good. It's, it's good for me to go. So I was happy that I was able to give her that. That was your Tiger Beer Lower East Side Minute. Now back to the trip. In the 60s and 70s, um, you know, there was like this Gulf Gold Rush, essentially, where people wanted to go to the Emirates and places like this, where there was money to be made and, you know, jobs and kind of this promise of a better life. And not so much like, I mean, obviously for some communities it was going to the States or whatever, but um, like it was really the Gulf. There's this phrase called Dubai Jello, which means like, go to Dubai. Everyone wanted to go to Dubai and, and kind of make it. And so... You know, when, when people had, like, immigrated to the States or, or to these places that had this big American influence, then it became one of these things that you talked about or heard about. It's one of these things that you associate with having made it, right? So, like, even now, people would bring back Burger King on flights from Dubai to Karachi. Even, like, after KFC and McDonald's and all these places that open, like, people still bring Krispy Kreme donuts back. Like, I often see at the airport, like, people carrying a box of Krispy Kreme donuts. Like, even the Dunkin' Donuts exists in Karachi. There's still this, like, weird aspirational value to these things that are available abroad. And part of it is because, again, like, not everyone has an opportunity to access these things. And then when these things come to Pakistan, then you feel like you're part of this global community. Like, you're having the same burger that everyone else is having. You can afford to do the same things that everyone else can do. It's like you're reclaiming this this lifestyle that actually you can never really have. What is it about the Pakistani kind of relationship to these outside cultures that makes them aspirational, but also at times like the target of severe abuse, right? The relationship changes. KFC became the symbol of, like, America. In a small town in Kentucky, he was perfecting his original recipe chicken. Under terrorist attack. Every single time there was, like, a riot or a protest, KFC would be the one to get attacked. Right after 9-11, KFC had to put out, like, these ads that said they were a Pakistani-owned and operated business. Every single time there was a riot or a protest, they would have to close down or their branch would get burned down or looted. And that's essentially how that first KFC branch was closed because it was burnt in a riot. Suicide vests and explosives were among the weapons taken from the militants. There's always a picture somewhere of the world of like the colonel getting his glasses knocked off or something, uh, you know, in some sort of anti, you know, glorious anti-imperialist <laughs> uh, gesture. Yeah, but like, I mean, the, the fast food restaurants in Pakistan have done like all sorts of things to prevent being attacked, right? Like there's the Islamic Declaration for Faith um, is like on the entrance to a McDonald's that's near my, one of my old houses, you know, to kind of prevent rioters from coming and people will like 
plaster Islamic sayings over their doorways um, so that they won't get attacked. And like the worst I've seen is like one of these KFC branches that got literally torn apart in a riot where people stole the air conditioners and the taps and the delivery system. And like it was bizarre. Like why would you steal all of this ridiculous stuff from KFC? But yeah, it really became the symbol of of America in like the post 9-11 years. And and it's also weird because it became a symbol at, the t- at a time when like consumerism was really on the uptick in Karachi. Um, and so at the same time, people were protesting against these things or treating them as symbols of America while also aspiring to eat them or also finding that now they could afford to eat at KFC. Right. So they should they should examine the American within, right? The rampant consumerist that that lives in their own heart. Yeah, but I think people find it easy to separate both, right? Like there is this, you know, you can enjoy KFC, but also oppose America, I guess. I don't know <laughs> what the thought behind that is. I don't think people see them. They were trying to do this thing against like Pepsi right after 9-11, where like we should drink like this thing called Makkah Cola, which... Um, which is like not Pepsi and not support like American-owned businesses and stuff. And these things never really take off. At the end of the day, like people want the original thing. KFC is one of those things that has really survived essentially every food trend. Um, Like the Zinger has really survived it. It's kind of ridiculous to see. So like, as I said in the beginning, like Zinger is not just a burger, right? It's a generic term for this fried chicken sandwich. And so every single place in Karachi, whether it's a diner or like a fast food place, has their own version of a Zinger. And it's called a Zinger. And they have the same photo as KFC. It's literally the same stock photo. Um, and it's so embedded in like my consciousness is this is what a Zinger is supposed to look like. And everyone has their own version and their own prices. And yeah, they all call it a Zinger, including KFC. But it's not just in a burger context, right? They'll, they'll, they'll kind of push it into traditional Pakistani dishes, also. Yes, like the biryani, which I I think Biryani Center has taken off its menu, though. But like this, um, so there's a franchise called, well, there's a chain of restaurants called Biryani Center in Karachi, and they make sort of various versions of biryani, you know, chicken tikka biryani and roast biryani. And then they're also making like zingers now, which is very strange. The zinger biryani, which was essentially the zinger, well, like a piece of chicken, like fried chicken um, on top of biryani rice, um, which Nathan, I am so ashamed to say was like ridiculously delicious. I would totally eat it now if somebody offered it to me. <laughs> like when I ordered it, like at this restaurant, I swear to God, the waiter like looked at me strangely. Um, but yeah, it was actually quite delicious. But it's on their menu, or is it an off menu? Did you force them to like collide these two cultures on the plate? <laughs> I wish I was this devious. No, they they introduced it for a little while. I think they've taken it off their menu now. Um, it's kind of like when you have leftovers at home. I guess you put one thing on top of the other. And I mean, you in Karachi, so a zinger is is pretty ubiquitous at this point, right? Yeah, completely. Like you can get it everywhere. Like the last time I went. Like, they were selling out of a cart near a graveyard once. Like, this is ridiculous. Like, who's going to eat? So it's kind of slipped, it's slipped the culture or it's, it's chains, you know, right? It's not just a KFC thing, but it's kind of now out in the broader Pakistani food culture. You know, they market the zinger for, like, Ramadan when people are fasting. Wow. So you can have a zinger before, essentially, daybreak. Um and they sell them like family deal, which has like six singers and like this many pieces of chicken and a bottle of Pepsi. This time KFC Ramazan festival ho jai, jis mein hai, ye bhi, ye bhi. 
सो लाइक दैट्स व्हाट यू गो टू ईट बिफोर यू स्टार्ट फास्टिंग द एंटायर डे 1495 में The zinger has actually been re-imported into the United States. I found this place in Chicago that's called Mr. Brost, which is already tying into one strong Pakistani chicken culture. Uh, but its its tagline is "Home of the Zinger Burger," <laughs> so it's like it's covering the other one. And it's like a chain. It's in Aurora and Lombard and like all of these Illinois uh, cities, which. Uh, you know and and to someone who's not pakistani then i i mean what could that possibly signify you know but like this is the weird thing i feel like you know anyone who's from pakistan and has been to and like isn't living in the states stuff would love to eat a singer why not like i think like these restaurants are really on it like i should we should invest in this place even <laughs> yeah what a weird like cycle pakistanis bringing an american thing back to america One of the things that I was thinking about with this was of course how hungry you are <laughs> <laughs> right now how I'm going to just stop this recording and go crush a shake shack. Uh no actually I was thinking about shake shack cuz uh we have one right down the block. Love that burger. I'm uh, shaking my head in disapproval just because <laughs> like I do not have a shake shack down the street. I have a falafel and hummus guy down the street. Well, we have him too, but uh, the Shake Shack Shake Shack is a very special uh uh kind of gut bomb now live in the Emirates, it's live in Saudi Arabia. Uh it's doing really well over there apparently, and it makes me wonder, you know, like will will it come to Pakistan? And I actually looked at this and and uh I see on Twitter just this month sort of desperate Pakistanis writing please come to pakistan and shake shack saying you know hey maybe <laughs> we'd love to yeah. <laughs> yeah like i don't know with the last couple of years it's always been like these really obscure like only have five restaurants in the like somewhere in the south or like that come to pakistan and they they haven't uh, worked out like this is a place called steak escape um which started which like failed and then johnny rockets which also isn't doing well um and then thankfully froyo came and died out um mrs fields also didn't do very well um froyo is a personal like beef for me uh no i no starbucks is like this big thing that everybody really wants to come to pakistan but it hasn't and every kind of year somebody spreads this rumor that starbucks is coming and it isn't My stomach literally just growled. Right. This, this this podcast is brought to you by two very hungry people. At least one. <laughs> The trip is produced and edited by Josie Holtzman and mixed by Ben Shano. Original theme music by Dan the Automator. Additional music in this episode by Nick Kupfer, Jazar, Lee Rosevere, Abid Brohi and Somewhat Super, and Zirak Khan. Our podcast artwork as always by Adele Rodriguez. Special thanks to Saba for doing an hour-long food interview despite her extreme hunger. If you want to check out the original article that inspired this podcast, head to thetrip.fm. This week on Roads and Kingdoms, I'm going to point to explorepartsunknown.com. It's a site we built with Anthony Bourdain and CNN, and it goes everywhere that Bourdain goes on his show Parts Unknown. It's pretty awesome, fun to flip through. Check it out, explorepartsunknown.com. 
Next time on the trip, a story about the last shepherd of Andalusia, a man named Chacho. Yes, world from the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance. I'm Marco Wint. And I'm Rick Schwartz. And we're your hosts for season three of Amazing Wildlife, a show from iHeartRadio Ruby Studio and the global conservation organization behind the San Diego Zoo and the San Diego Zoo Safari Park. Listen as we dive into the efforts here in San Diego and spotlight the heroes working worldwide to care for the species you know and love. Listen to Amazing Wildlife on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.